This is Herman Viola. I'm a curator emeritus at the National Museum of the American Indian. I've been with the Smithsonian 45 years. And in that time, I've met some very interesting people, uh, fascinating people. One of them is Joseph Medicine Crow. Uh, he died two years ago at the age of 102. And Joseph Medicine Crow was the first Crow male to go to college. And in World War II, he was working on his Ph.D. in anthropology at the University of Southern California. And he was kind of a great ambassador for the Crow people and the, the white world. But his background is just fascinating. He was raised by pre-reservation Indians. And one of his grandfathers, White Man Runs Him, was one of the scouts with Custer at Little Bighorn. Custer had six Crow young men as his scouts. They were his personal scouts. They were enlisted in the cavalry. And White Man Runs Him was Custer's favorite scout. And anyhow, Joe, as a boy, knew four of those six scouts. And of course, he lived with White Man Runs Him before he died. And so anyhow, Joe knew a number of stories that were never recorded, never been told people. But because Joe and I became very close friends, eventually he adopted me, and he named me for his favorite grandfather, One Star. And his Indian name was Highbird. So anyhow, we were chatting one time about the stories from Little Bighorn. And Joe said, yeah, he said... Uh, you know, people always wondered why those six crow boys didn't get killed. Uh, they were with Custer. And he says, I can tell you why they survived. He said, their job was to find Sitting Bull's village. And they had a pretty good idea where it was. And if any of you have been to the Custer battlefield, you can see the ring of hills there. And there's a high spot known as the Crow's Nest. And as the 7th Cavalry was approaching in that direction, the boys uh, went up to the crow's nest to take a look out in the landscape where they thought Sitting Bull's village would be, and there it was. Now, with them was one of Custer's officers. And as the boys got up there, it was dawn. They could see smoke rising from the teepees. The people were preparing breakfast. And Joe said, the boys told him that it was just a gigantic village and just a dark landscape filled with horses. Apparently, there were something like 5,000 horses in that village. So anyhow, the boys looked out there and they said, there they are. And the, the white officer who was with them, Joe, white man runs them, said he had this strange thing he looked through. Obviously, it was like a telescope. And he couldn't see anything. And the boys insisted, no, no, they're there. They're there. So they then went down, back down to the flat area where the cavalry was waiting. And uh, they reported that they found the village. It was right over the top there. And immediately Custer called his officers together to make a plan of attack. And the boys said, no, no, you don't want to attack. There are more Indians there than there are bullets in your guns. You have to wait for the foot soldiers who are coming. Now, the chief of scouts was a man named Mitch Boyer, 
who could speak Crow. And so anyhow, the Custer was animated, getting his officers, talking to them. And as he was doing that, the boys started taking their uniforms off and putting on their Indian regalia. And Custer looked up and saw that. And he says to Mitch, why are they taking their uniforms off? And so Mitch Boyer said, I'll go ask them. So he went over to the Crow boys and he said to them in Crow, of course, uh, Yellow Hair wants to know why you're taking your uniforms off. And one of the scouts, White Swan, points to Custer and says, he is a crazy man. And we want, when we go down a road we've never walked before and we meet the one above, we want him to know that we are Indians, not white men. And so, obviously, what they were saying is they were predicting that they were all going to get killed, and they just wanted to be dressed as Indians when they died. And Mitch Booyer then went back to Custer and told them that. Custer, of course, quite tense, got angry, and he said, if those boys are afraid to fight the Sioux, tell them to leave. We'll do the fighting. And so Mitch came back to the six boys and said, this is your lucky day. You can leave now. And they did. And, of course, Mitch was killed with Custer just at the beginning of the battle. So, anyhow, those are the kind of stories I learned from Joe Medicine Crow. And there are a lot of stories out there. I would like to tell you some more now about my good friend, adopted brother, Joseph Medicine Crow. And if any of you find this of interest, uh, we did publish a book together called Counting Coup, which is available through the National Geographic Society. Joseph Medicine Crow, as I mentioned, was attending college, University of Southern California, when World War II broke out. And so he was descended from a long line of warriors, a couple of warrior chiefs, his grandfather, Medicine Crow, very famous warrior. And Joseph immediately wanted to enlist in the United States Army. One of his friends at college was a recruiter. And Joe chatted with him, and his friend said, Joe, I can get you into officer candidate school. And Joseph said, no. He said, that's not going to be possible. He said, I, in the Crow tradition, you start out at the bottom and you work your way up. So I went in as a private. As he told me, he said it was the worst mistake he ever made. He went into the Army as a private. He came out as a private. But he also, when he went overseas, wanted to fulfill his warrior tradition. And for the Plains people, part of the warrior tradition is counting coup. That's how they get credit for their battlefield exploits. And what does counting coup mean? Well, it's from the French phrase coup d'etat. It means to touch. And, it's, and counting coup is to touch the enemy. And for the Plains people, there are four coups to do to fulfill the requirements to be a war chief. And Joe, as it turned out, did all four coups against the Germans. When we were chatting about this, you know, he was telling me about how he did this. And here he is. He comes out of graduate school, ends up in Germany. He got into the Germany towards the end of the war. 
uh, the Germans were pretty much already retreating. So anyhow, Joe said, well, I, I did the four war deeds. I said, well, tell me about them. And he says, well, he said, the first one I did, I was in a village, and I was running along a stone wall next to a cemetery. And as it turned out, a German soldier was running along the wall on the other side, and we met at the gate. Well, I was pretty nimble in those days, and he was surprised. And when I got there, I hit him under the chin with the butt of my rifle, knocked him down, and got his gun. So I got two coups with the first incident. So he touched the enemy, and he got the enemy's weapon. So I said, Joe, did you kill him? No, he said, I gave him a cigarette. He kept calling, mother, mother. So then the other two coups that Joe would have to do was one was leading a successful war party. And the fourth one, which is the ultimate, is to capture an enemy horse. And so Joe said, because I was an Indian, they always made me do the braver things. And he said, I was more scared than the white boys, but I would never let on that I was afraid. And of course, my commanding officer always called me chief because I was an Indian. He said, another time we were engaged with the enemy, uh, the enemy had some fortified positions, cement bunkers, and so we needed dynamite to blow up those bunkers. And so my platoon sergeant says to me, Joseph, Go back to base camp and get some cases of dynamite. Pick a couple of guys of your friends, your buddies, and go back and get the dynamite for us. And so to get there, I had to go across a long open field. And of course, the Germans were shooting at us. But I had about five or six of my buddies, and we kind of went running towards the base camp. And then on the way back, we each had a case of dynamite, and we were running back, and nobody got hurt. Now, I have to be honest, he said, my buddies laid down a smoke screen, so we were really running through a fog. But still, uh, when I went home and told the old people, they counted that as a successful war party. And a war party to be successful meant nobody got hurt. You know, you see all those John Wayne movies, the Indians getting shot off their horses. Well, that didn't happen in real life. Uh, if you went on the war path and, and your people got hurt, then you were a failure as a leader. Well, I said, Joe, that's a good one. Now, how did you get a horse? He says, oh, he said, I kept a rope in my knapsack the whole time I was in Germany. I kept hoping I'd get a horse. And he said, again, it was towards the end of the war. The Germans were retreating. My company was walk, walking along a dirt road, and I could see the hoof prints in the sand and the mud of horses. And, oh, I had my hopes up. And he said, we were going along and along, and it was getting close towards evening. And as we came over a hill, there below us was, looks like a ranch. It was a ranch house, and there was a corral with about 50 horses in it. And he said, our commanding officer said, fellas, uh, we'll surround that ranch. And when dawn comes, we'll announce our presence. And the Germans, I'm sure, will surrender. And so Joe said, all I could think about were those horses. And so anyhow, 
I went up to the commanding officer and I said, Sir, I said, that's a very good plan you have there. But don't you think that during the night some of those Germans might escape on those horses? Maybe I should get them out of the corral. <laughs> and Joe laughed and he says, I was pretty sure that my boss knew what I really was thinking about. But he said, sure, Joe, you do what you want to do. Uh, but we're going to attack at dawn. And Joe said, I got my best friend. And we snuck on down in the dark to the corral. And we waited there until just about daybreak. And he said, I uh, went into the corral and I looked all those horses over. He said, I picked out a beautiful roan and walked them over to the watering trough. And he said, I had to get on the watering trough to get on the horse. He said, I had a backpack. My boots were heavy, but muddy. I was tired. He said, but I tied a little loop around the horse's lower jaw in the Indian way. And I had told my friend, when the, when I yell, you open the gate. So anyhow, I got on my horse. I was all set. And then I gave a crow war cry. And with that, the gate opened and the horses all went galloping out. And I had my horse. And he said, I rode off a little ways and we were circling around the different horses. And then I sang a crow honor song. And then I rode back to the ranch house, the villa. And while I was doing that, our buddies opened fire. The Germans surrendered immediately. And there we had our prisoners, and I had my horse. And he said, then we were going to go on to the next town, and we were walking along this railroad track. And I was riding my horse. And my commanding officer called me over. He said, Chief, get off that horse. You make too good a target. But anyhow, uh, I lost my horse, but I had gotten, I got my what I wanted. And when I went home and I told the old people what I had done, they gave me credit for being a war chief. And in, in all truth, when Joe died a couple of years ago, he was the last bona fide war chief of the Plains Indians. Now, what most of you don't realize is that I was working on a book for a long time on Indians in the military. The book is called Warriors in Uniform. It was published by the National Geographic Society. I worked on that book for about 35 years because I really started collecting these stories after I met Joe. And I met Joe, you know, some 30 years ago. So anyhow, uh, Joseph had a nephew named Carson Walksover Ice. And Carson went to Vietnam. He was a Green Beret. And I got to know Carson quite well. And so anyhow, he knew I was a good friend of Joe's. By then I'd been adopted into the Crow tribe. And so we were sitting around talking, and I said to Carson, Now, you know, your uncle did his war deeds against the Germans. When you were in Vietnam, did you do your war deeds? He looked at me and he says, yes, he said, I tried. He said, you know, they're the four war deeds you have to do. You know, touch an enemy, take an enemy weapon away, lead a successful war party where no one gets hurt, and then get a horse. So I said, well, you were able to do that? He said, well, he said, I was Green Beret, and he said, I got parachuted a number of times back in behind enemy lines in North Vietnam. He said, uh, I was a platoon sergeant, and so what I would do is keep an eagle feather tucked in the netting on my helmet. 
He said, the Viet Cong were very good at shooting officers, so you never wanted to have any insignia on you that would make you stand out. But when I, my men looked at me, I would give directions. They could see my eagle feather. Things worked out pretty well. So he said, I said, well, how did you get your coups? And he says, well, he said, I was in a firefight one day, and a Viet Cong soldier came running right past me. He said, I was behind a tree. And when that so, enemy soldier came running past, I stepped out, grabbed him, took his gun, and I said to him in Vietnamese, run. And he ran like hell. And my buddies saw me, and they said, Carson, why didn't you kill him? And Carson said, the important thing is you saw me do it, and that's all that matters. And he said, so I grabbed him and took his gun. So I got two coups, one person. And he said, I had a number of firefights with my soldiers, we said, and we'd be on patrol, get in different battles, skirmishes. And he said, uh, none of my men got shot. So when I got home, I was able to tell my, my uh, the elders that. And so they gave me credit for leading successful war parties. I said, what about the horse? He says, Herman, I looked everywhere for a horse in North Vietnam. He said, they didn't have horses. He said, it was so frustrating. He said, but one time I was on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, sitting there in the brush watching. And the Ho Chi Minh Trail is when the supplies would come in from North Vietnam into South Vietnam. And Carson says, I suddenly heard this crackling in the brush. And I look up, and here comes an elephant. And there was a fellow riding on the elephant. He says, I shot him. And then that elephant just started running right towards me. And he had a chain that was dragging off his neck. And when that elephant came close to me, I leaped up, grabbed that chain, and hung on. He said, Herman, I want you to know that elephant stopped when it wanted to stop. But I was hanging on. And when he stopped, I wrapped that chain around a tree and as it turned out, there were three other elephants tied to that one, and each one of them was loaded with guns and ammunition. So when I went home and told the old people all this, and I was sure I would get credit as a war chief, the old people looked at me and said, tough luck, Carson. You know, elephants aren't horses. So he said, I never got to be a war chief. So anyhow, those are the kind of stories that I've picked up working with the Indian community, working on my book, Warriors in Uniform, and I'll tell more of these stories when we connect again. Thank you.